Grace, mercy, and peace are yours from God our Father, from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Last week, we went through 41 verses. It's weak. Today, we will go through three chapters. Are you ready? We won't go verse by verse, though. We'll, we'll all summarize some of it for you. But the story today is so rich that it wouldn't make sense to just jump to the end. Let's go through it. See, as we continue our story of Joseph, if you remember, we pick up where we left off last week. Joseph had just interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh, and he had become now the second most important person in all of Egypt, only behind Pharaoh. That chapter continues, and Joseph gets married. He has a couple of sons, and the seven good years come, and then the seven years of famine, extreme famine. And in the midst of the famine, we get to circle back to Jacob again, Jacob and his remaining sons. Jacob and his remaining sons have no food, so he sends the brothers down. In fact, we are told that he sends the ten down and does not send Benjamin, who is Joseph's younger brother, whose mother is Rachel. Because it would seem that Benjamin, the other son of Rachel, is now the new favorite, or at least has been given special treatment. The text says that Jacob is afraid to send Benjamin because he is afraid harm might come to the boy on the journey. The other ten arrive in Cana, or from Cana. They go down to Egypt, and Joseph recognizes them. But the brothers, of course, don't recognize Joseph. And wouldn't you know it, they bow down to him, just like in the dreams, and they ask to buy grain from Joseph. And upon seeing them, Joseph accuses them of being spies. He says, you're not really here to buy grain. You're here to try to find our defenses. And they say, no, 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 no. We are not spies. We are all the sons of one man. We were 12. One is no more. And one, our youngest, has stayed behind. And so on hearing this, Joseph said to them, it's just as I told you, you're spies. And this is how you will be tested. As surely as Pharaoh lives, you will not leave this place until this younger brother of yours comes here before me. Now send one of your number to go get your brother. The rest of you are going to be kept in prison so that your words may be tested to see if you are telling the truth. If you are not, then surely as Pharaoh lives, you truly are spies. The brothers think that Joseph can't understand them because he's been using an interpreter to speak with them this whole time. And they begin to say to one another, they know what this is about. God is rightfully punishing them for what they did to Joseph. When Joseph hears this, he leaves their presence. He goes and hides his face because he is so sad. Then he comes back, changes his mind, and says, one of you must stay, and Simeon stays, and the rest go back on their way. They all get the grain, they pay their silver, and they go. But when they are traveling, something happens. They open up their bags, and they look inside the grain, and wouldn't you know it, the silver that they had paid for this grain is also in their bags. And they panic again and say, truly, God must be punishing us rightly for what we did. Now this guy's going to think that we even stole this grain, and we didn't pay. And they get home, and they tell Jacob the entire story about being called spies, about having to leave Simeon behind, and how if they are going to go back to get Simeon, they have to take Benjamin with them. And Jacob refuses. 
He says, Joseph was killed. Simeon is now lost. And if Benjamin dies, I will surely die. And Reuben says, I promise you that won't happen. I will leave you my own sons as collateral. If Benjamin dies, you can kill my own sons. But Jacob refuses. And he says this in 38. My son will not go down there with you. His brother is dead. And he is the only one left. He says this to his ten sons. If harm comes to him on the journey you are taking, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in sorrow. But because of the severity of the famine, they eventually run out of that grain that they got on the first trip and they have to go again. And Jacob says, what are you doing sitting here? Go get me some more grain. And Judah says, we can't go unless we take Benjamin. And Jacob complains, and why did you even tell them about Benjamin in the first place? Why did you bring him up? And he said, what were we supposed to do? The man asked us about our family. He asked about you. He asked about Benjamin. Then Judah says, I make you this promise. If anything happens to Benjamin, I myself will bear the blame for the rest of my life. And then this verse comes and says their father Israel, that's Jacob, says to them, if it must be, If I must send the one son that I have left that I love, then do this. Put some of the best products of the land in your bags. Take them down to the man as a gift. A little balm, a little honey, some spices and myrrh, some pistachio nuts, no shells, and almonds. Take double the amount of silver with you, for you must return the silver that was put back into the mouths of your sacks. Perhaps it was a mistake. Take your brother also and go back to the man at once. And may God Almighty grant you mercy before the man so that he will let your other brother, doesn't say his name, and Benjamin come back with you. As for me, if I am bereaved, I am bereaved. When they get there, Joseph, upon seeing Benjamin, demands that they dine with him. And the brothers think it's a trap, but he assures them it's not a trap. Simon's released. They all come together and they give Joseph his gifts and they bow down now for the third time. And Joseph asks, how's your father doing? Is he still well? They say yes. And then they introduce this as the youngest brother. Joseph once again gets emotional. He has to hide, but he comes back at dinner. And during dinner, the brothers are seated in order of their age. And Benjamin, the youngest, has five times as much food put in front of him than everybody else. And the brothers, it says, notice this, but apparently there's no jealousy this time, only astonishment at the favoritism showed to this younger brother. Next day, they're on their way. Sacks are filled. Everybody's together. But Joseph put the silver back in their sacks, and they didn't know. But this time, he also puts a silver cup in someone's bag little Benjamins. And he has them stopped this time along the way. And the guards say, why did you steal from this man? His special cup is missing. And they all respond, we would never steal. If anybody took the cup, you can kill them. We have done nothing wrong this time. And they open up the bags. And whose bag do you think is it that has the little cup? It's Benjamin's, of course. And had seen the cup in Benjamin's bag. 
All of the brothers tear their clothes. And then they all go back into the city to plead their case with Joseph. And Joseph, in verse 14 here of chapter 44, was still in the house when Judah and his brothers came in and they threw themselves to the ground before him. And Joseph said, what is this you have done? Don't you know that a man like me can find things out by divination, still pretending to be Egyptian, not revealing himself to them? But how interesting that the brothers go back with Benjamin. They know that they haven't been wrong, that this has been planted, that something is amiss here. But they don't stand in front of Joseph. They're not going to shout and make excuses and demand justice. They're not going to try to lie. They simply are going to fall on the ground before him and ask for mercy. Desperate to plead for Benjamin. These brothers who before had given up on another brother. They could have gone back to their father and said, hey, we tried, but your little Benjamin stole the cup. Nothing we could do. But instead they plead and ask for mercy. And Judah says, what can I say to my Lord? What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. We ourselves and the one who has been found to have the cup implying that they will all stay. They will not leave their brother. But Joseph says, far be it from me to do such a thing. Only the man who has found to have the cup needs to become my slave. The rest of you, go back to your father in peace. Brothers thinking that they're going to be destined to live the rest of their lives as slaves because of what they did to Joseph some 20 years ago. And we see this truth here that time does not cover sin. 20 years is not long enough to cover the sin that we do. We see that sin cannot stay hidden. And from the brothers' responses, we see see that sin, it would seem, also can't be forgotten. And we also see that history has a way of repeating itself, does it not? What do you think it must have felt like to hear, this one goes to slavery, the rest of you go back to your father. I'm not so mean that you all have to be slaves. Just the one. Just the one goes. The rest of you go back. And gives the brothers a choice. Ditch the favored son. Take the food back to our own families. Mind you, these brothers have their own families who are starving. Tell their father what's happened. He lost another favorite son. And the choice is, what will they do? Choose for themselves or choose their father's favorite son. Choose their brother. And so much of this story, we don't get to see the inner change. 
We don't get to see the working of the brothers' hearts, the behind the scenes of what life was like for the 20 or so years that had happened since Joseph had been sold into slavery. We hear about Joseph's story, but we don't get to hear about how the brothers and Jacob, how they got along for all those years. And surprisingly, in response to having the same choice given, one to slavery and go back to your father, Judah gives this eloquent, impassioned speech that we're about to look at, called by some the most moving speech in the Bible, in which he pleads to Joseph on behalf of his brother Benjamin. Luther himself called this speech a model for prayer before our Lord, suggesting that our attitude needs to be one of submission, of surrender to God and his will that our minds and our hearts must be repentant and we must be ready to respond and act with our hands. We must pray from our heart for we are to call not to an impersonable God but to a God whose heart is real even though he is far greater than us. And here's what Judas says. It's in your bulletin if you want to follow or if you have your Bible you can open it up to 4418. Then Juno went up to him and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word to my Lord. Do not be angry with your servant, though you are equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, Do you have a father or a brother? And we answered, We have an aged father, and there is a young son born to him in his old age. His brother is dead, and he is the only one of his mother's sons left, and his father loves him. Then you said to your servants, bring him down to me so I can see him for myself. And we said to my Lord, the boy cannot leave his father. If he leaves him, his father will die. But you told your servants, unless your youngest brother comes down with you, you will not see my face again. We went back to your servant, my father. We told him what you, my Lord, had said. Then our father said, go back, buy a little more food. But we said, we cannot go down. Only if our younger brother is with us will we go. We cannot see the man's face unless our youngest brother is with us. Your servant, my father, said to us, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, he has surely been torn to pieces, and I have not seen him since. If you take this one from me too, and harm comes to him, you will bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. That's what Jacob said to his other sons. And we've been in this story for so long. If it's all right with you, I'd like to take just a moment to go from listening to the story to experiencing. I'd like you to put yourself in the story. And for today, I'd love for you to try and experience this as if you were Judah, the brother who gave this appeal to Joseph. But I want you to do it not as one who is experienced or who's trying to save his brother, not as someone who is speaking, trying to fix something that has gone horribly wrong. I want you to think what it would have been like to be Judah apart or before these words were spoken. I want you to think about what it would have been like to be Judah before he says this speech. Your father had a favorite son. And it wasn't you. But that favorite son, your father treated him in a special way. And you, well, you were wounded. You were hurt 
because you are not loved the way you were supposed to be loved. You have spent your life being looked over, just one of many, not important or special, and one day you get caught up in all of your hurt, all of your pain, all of your anger, and you suggest that this favorite son should be sold into slavery. And you go from suggesting to acting on it. And you hold in your hand the profit, the money in exchange for the brother that you yourself sold into slavery. And then you go and you lie to the one who has hurt you, hoping to cause them some pain. That son that they love so much, well, it looks like he's dead. And maybe you thought you'd be happy in that moment when you saw him crying. And maybe you were in that moment, happy to hurt the one who has been hurting you your whole life. But ever since you've been living that lie, ever since you got rid of what you thought was the cause, your brother, well, it didn't make any difference because your father didn't love you anymore. In fact, nothing changed. Only now with your anger, there's guilt and shame. That wound wasn't healed by revenge. It didn't make it better to hurt the one that hurt you. And then the father has another son and it's the same story. He loves him more, shows him favored him, neglects you again. Imagine having to live life with the feeling that your father doesn't really care about you. It's no wonder He's been angry and bitter and rejected and full of hate because the wound, the mark that Judah carries, that unmovable mountain in his life, is there. And I'm not trying to excuse what Judah's done. We know that hurt people hurt people, but that's not an excuse. And I don't agree with for a second that this story is about doing something good to make up for the wrongs that you've done in the past. See, something happens in this story that we don't get to read about. Something happens here that we don't get the exact details of, but we know it happened because it is the only answer for that speech that is given. It's the only explanation for the change that we witness in this man. We didn't get to see the moment of repentance and the moment where Judah experienced the mercy of God. Where Judah experienced the forgiveness of God, the mercy of God for what he had done. Where in his life, the brokenness and the wound that was done to him and the actions that he had done and all of that that had been defining him for so long and driving him suddenly lost its power. All we are given in this story is the change. We see a heart that is changed, a heart that refuses to keep hurting. We see a heart that by grace and mercy refuses to let the hurt that he has experienced continue to reign over his life and instead chooses to cry out in mercy on behalf of another, on behalf of one who was loved more than himself. 
he cries out in sympathy for his father, for the one who has wronged him. He's going to offer his life for the life of his brother who is loved more than him. What brings that kind of change? Who heals that kind of pain, that kind of wound? It's not time. It's not saying, well, I've got to pick myself up. Life's never going to change. It's not pretending it doesn't happen or anything like that. Only God can bring this change to you, to Judah. And so we are faced with this truth. Some of us, many of us, have been hurt by others, have been hurt by people who should not have hurt us. Know all about that mountain of pain, that wound that can't be overcome. But there is a voice, not yelling, not shouting, not trying to give you facts or, or make excuses or tell you if you do this or that, but a voice that speaks to you through those attempts of trying to hide and cover up. A voice that offers more, comes as a whisper and says, let me change your heart. The voice doesn't tell you to go back into the situation or to allow yourself to keep getting hurt. The voice doesn't want pain for you. But it is a voice that speaks to your heart and says, allow me, allow God to remove that mountain, that pain that you can't get past because, my child, you will not be able to do it. As a human who has been broken and beaten down and weighed down with the guilt and the shame and the pain of the things you have done and the things that have happened to you, you cannot overcome it. But I, God, who love you, I can and I will. I am the loving God who does not minimize your pain or what has happened to you. I am the God who promises you, who shows you, who says, I am close to you. I am greater than the pain that you have experienced and the hurt that has happened to you. And maybe you have heard all of this before. But God is promising you that you can experience this that by his love you will be made stronger than you thought was possible. That by his love you can be more than what you have done and more than what has happened to you. Because you are loved and you are forgiven and you are not alone. You have peace. Hope has not left you. God is not far from you. You can experience change. And maybe it's been 20 years or maybe it's been your whole life of having a wound, having that mountain there, but it will not define you because God's voice found in his word, tasted in his sacrament, experienced and shown in Jesus says, I still and always will choose you. I will keep you safe. I'm not going anywhere. And you ask, how is this possible? What could change my heart? What can bring change? Why should I change? Do you know what's really happened to me? 
And he does, and the text says, Judas says this, if the boy is not with us when I go back to your servant, my father, and my father whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life sees that the boy isn't there, he's going to die. Your servants will bring the gray head of our father down to the grave in sorrow. I, your servant, guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I don't bring him back to you, I bear the blame all my life. So then please, let me remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. Let the boy go back and return with his brothers, his family. I can't go back if the boy's not with me. Don't let me see the misery that would come on my father. Judah, who had done so much wrong, Judah, who had had so much wrong done to him, is changed and is willing to be a slave in exchange for a brother chooses an act of love instead of hate. How much more? How much more does your God give for you? If you think that the cross is just some story that we tell to our children or some jewelry we put on our neck or hang on a banner or put on our wall, then you are missing it because the cross is his promise to you. It's his faithfulness to you that he knows your pain, that he knows your guilt, your shame. He knows what you have done. And he knows what has been done to you. And he says, that does not define you. My cross does. My death does. We see a cross and he gives us an empty tomb. We see and have pain and he gives us life and healing and a heart that is changed. We see an immovable mountain. He delivers a path. We have had horrible things done to us. And we have done horrible things to one another. And yet your God says, come to me. Do not hide. This pain, this hurt is not too much for me. This story shows us the mercy of God and his faithfulness. Mercy for sin, mercy for the wrongs done to us because sin and time and guilt and fear bow to the power of your Lord Jesus Christ, to his mercy. And that is the gift of Jesus Christ to you that he takes it all and he leaves you with himself because he is enough. He is enough because he does not stop and he does not give up on you because his heart is for you. Amen.